0: Howdy, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal—the show where we talk about all the stuff we've watched since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. It's been two weeks. It has. We're falling into that pattern, which we shouldn't.
1: It's the holidays. It's somewhat forgivable.
0: Okay. Um, but it's also a time of year that I tend to see a lot of movies. So now we have a lot of catching up to do.
1: <laughs> me too, usually. But it's been a, a rough couple of weeks for me. Well, you you traveled? I traveled, and I was just working on other things. And so, yeah, I've I've got two movies, but a whole bunch of TV. I'll say I'll say that. Okay,
0: so we'll we'll, we'll address that. Yeah, when we address that. So, um, all right, the night after we did uh, our last movie journal. Yeah, my wife and I. Brought a close to a tradition that's gone on for years, okay. which is to have dinner at El Chavo on sunset, which okay. apparently is closing soon, and then go see the new Hunger Games movie at the Vista Theater, which is
1: our favorite theater. You've named one of my two. And uh, yeah. Okay. And, and Jen and I saw it uh, uh, an hour after. Uh, we were done recording. (laughs) So you didn't have a whole like have margaritas and uh, you don't have a whole
0: like ritual around the Hunger Games movies like we do. Uh, See it uh, Thursday night. Aside from that. Um, I got to say, I, you know, I'm a big fan of the Hunger Games movies. I was really let down by the way this one ended. I, I, it did, it did not do it for me. I, I felt like there are, there are a certain number of through lines, right? Yeah. There's, um, you know, there's story. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's like plot and and the world uh, that they've built. I hate mm-hmm. that term, world building. Um, and there's the emotional or character storylines, sure. and then there's like the political political allegory story yeah, storylines. Yeah, and I think that third one is the only one that felt like it worked as a continuation of the, and a conclusion of the series. Whereas I felt like. The, the story and the world kind of fell apart. Not, I mean, it kind of literally did because of the bombs and stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, it, it fell apart. And the emotional through line just was not there for me.
1: Here's what I found. Uh, I agree with you. I liked the movie. And yet I still agree with you. Uh-huh. Um, and what I'm about to say could be viewed as a flaw by most people. In fact, okay. by everybody. Who would have thought that the most dynamic relationship... In all of Hunger Games was between Katniss and President Snow. See, that's I feel I'm, like that's so. I feel like that might be a flaw. That's for, pro-
0: no, I feel like that's what they're forcing. But I don't think that. And I and I think due to the strength of the two performers, it were that is stuff that works. Yes, that stuff works in the movie better than the Katniss and Peta stuff, or the Katniss and um, Liam Hemsworth Gale, Lentron, Gale stuff, uh, or the like weirdly abs like the Katniss and prim thing, which is yeah. not almost absent from the movie entirely. Yeah. I think that stuff works better because of the strength of the actors, but I don't think if you watched all four movies back to back, it would feel, uh, organic. Uh, Whereas the stuff they were seeding as organic, namely the Katniss and Peter relationship. Sure. Um, or even the Katniss and Haymitch relate relationship. Yeah. Doesn't, flower in
1: this final movie or doesn't follow from where it left off for me. I think it it absolutely comes down to the performances and, and just the, for lack of a better term chemistry, because uh, Effie and Katniss, I Uh think came to a pretty satisfying close as well. Right. And apparently um,
0: I, I haven't read, I've only read the first book, but apparently Effie is not in the Mockingjay book. Yeah, she I've, was sort of kept, around, or at least not in the, not, not in, in the parts kind of, yeah. that that is are covered by the second movie. I guess, when I understand that, Effie has a larger role in the movies, kind of because Elizabeth Banks has made such a place for herself. You uh, mean in Hollywood or in the film? No, in the films. Yeah, the, oh, yeah no question about it.
1: And I think that's a smart thing to yeah. watch. You know, because when you think about it, as the world is changing, you're going to need certain characters who couldn't be more of an extension of that world to change as well some of them like Stanley Tucci because I think he and and Effie are very much sort of of a piece he just continues to be the mouthpiece because that's his job and maybe he likes it maybe he doesn't mm-hmm. who's to say but then we see her and see her cling to the things that she that she knows and doing her best but then letting herself get emotionally attached to things And it's the thing that I've always liked about her character and the performance is Elizabeth Banks is never winking at you underneath Mm -hmm. all that stuff to say like, there's a heart underneath this. Like (laughs) those moments are there and she doesn't, she lets those be what they are, yeah but she also, she's not going to go against the nature (laughs) of the character either. But anyway, sorry, I got distracted. Um, Yeah. It's uh, some of the PETA stuff worked out well, but that's mostly a function of the writing. Um, true or false or or real or not real or whatever it is like that's it's it's kind of melodramatic but i thought it it worked well no i liked it yeah there's just not enough uh meat
0: there i think um and then let me my, my final problem with it has to do with the story stuff which feels like the story of this fourth movie feels much smaller than what i thought we were building to like basically there's this whole revolution going on mm-hmm. and the idea of drawing down the focal point to this small team behind the front line of the re- revolution kind yeah. of robs us of the 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 impact we've been building robs us of the climax of this revolution we've been building towards you know it makes it seem like something that i didn't feel katniss is the spark and mm-hmm. her innate uh, goodness and selflessness and caring is what made all this happen. Mm-hmm. But she's not the revolution. That's To right. me, That's uh, that's a very key part of the franchise. And so to spend barely any time seeing all the people inspired by her. Yeah. You know, because we would had hints of it, which might be like at the end of the first film, there were, you know, in in the last film, we saw people, you know, um, storm uh, the uh, the attack, the peacekeepers, whatever they're called, and get shot. And we saw people sacrifice. Yeah. um, And losing that scope felt like uh, a betrayal of what uh what we'd
1: invested in this story and i wonder if i mean more so even than you know deathly hallows parts one and two i mean this one when it starts i mean there's no introduction it just starts where the left last one left off and so if you were to put these together because the last one does have more of that Mm -hmm. if you were to put these together and watch them as one Four plus hour movie yeah would you get the 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 bigger picture the yeah, more maybe. complete picture
0: maybe I don't um know. but uh and then i'll also say this uh, this kind of ties into it i get that the whole like idea of this world is that they have these game makers who make right. these things but that's within the hunger games when you've suddenly got the game makers working and actually booby trapping the capital for the revolutionaries right it risks and achieves silliness. I have to say these, even though they were like deadly traps and everything, the, yeah. my, the thinking of like, wait, how much time did they spend emptying out and like building all this? Like yeah. this seems like a huge years long project. Like how do they hide guns in that wall that it doesn't look like there's been any recent like masonry done on that wall <laughs> to hide. Like it, t- it takes me out of it because it's, it makes sense in the games, but when it's yeah, yeah. war, war,
1: it seems silly. I I trying to explain it away. It didn't it didn't really uh, it didn't really occur to me because I think this speaks to for me Francis Lawrence as a director is those sequences are done so well that I'm uh, I'm just engrossed in them. And of course that sewer sequence couldn't be more I am legend which is uh-huh. great. I, it worked for me oh, yeah. especially yeah. because of how long it took for the payoff. You know, like we know something's coming, and they're just, we keep expecting there to be a flash of something here or there. Right. And it keeps not happening. And you're just yeah, like.
0: Yeah, the sewer sequences, you mentioned I Am Legend, but it's also aliens and it's also the descent. There's a lot of descent in there, yes. Yeah. Um, um, and that's good. I like, uh, I don't know if you're his name, the, the guy who plays Finnick. I, I've, I've liked, I think he's done a lot with uh, with little. Uh, Sam the, Claflin. Or something. Oh yeah, from Snow White and the Huntsman, my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> all right, so that's uh, Hunger Games.
1: It sounds like yeah. you liked it a little bit more than I did. I I, I'd know. say I liked it considerably more. Out of like a let's say a five star, because I'm thinking in terms of letterboxed. Out of five stars, I'd probably go three, three and a half.
0: Okay, if um, I'm generous. Uh, then the next day, this is a rewatch but something I hadn't seen in a long time. I went, uh, uh, our friend Ian Brill and I went to the new Beverly to see a matinee of matinee. Oh, I wish I could have gone. And man, it's even better than I remember Cause I, I was young when I first mm-hmm. saw it. And I, so, um, I certainly remembered that, that it was funny. Mm-hmm. And I remembered that it was also kind of heavy, it, you know, that, that, the these kids in Key West, Florida and adults, but most of the kids, living under the, so close to the threat during the Cuban missile crisis is not something that Joe Dante papers over in the movie or treats as just like background noise. Like that, um, that fear and anxiety sort of informs the tone of the movie. Even while it's funny, it's still sort of jittery and paranoid. Um, and he really walks a very thin, uh, a very, very, uh, fine tonal line there with getting the comedy and that at the same time and does it does it really well. Um I love uh Robert Picardo's character, the 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 owner of the oh, movie right. theater who yeah. also has built the bomb shelter in the basement of the movie yeah. theater and is obsessed with uh with listening to news reports. Um so I remembered all this stuff, but um I think what I didn't remember is that it's also a movie Um, to some extent like a lot of Joe Dante's movies but even more so here it's a movie about movies Mm -hmm. and um explores these big ideas of why we uh why we see them and why they are helpful and therapeutic and uh why um why art and not just art but the communal experience of art that you get from a movie theater, mm-hmm. uh, is important. You know, John Goodman's character is the huckster that the, the we've seen. It's a type we've seen in a lot of movies, but for all his hucksterism and, um, uh, he's not actually that sleazy. He does some little no. backwards things like hiring Dick Miller and John sales <laughs> to pretend to be, uh, <laughs> I had forgotten. I, I, I say I'd forgotten it was John sales. I didn't know who John sales sure. was the last course, time I yeah, saw yeah. this movie. So it was like, Oh my God, John say- John sales, um, hiring them to pretend to protest the movie just to drum up more. Yeah. Like that's a little slimy, but really he's a good guy and he cares a lot about, yeah. he's not just out there to like, he's not trying to sucker people out of their money. He mm. really is trying to make a great experience for them. Um, and he's willing to, um, you know, work in the blurry lines of, uh, uh, ethics to be able to make a living doing that. Yeah. But his motivations are pure. And I find that it's a really interesting spin on an archetypal character type.
1: Well, and it's, and, and I, it's been years since I've seen it. I need to see it again. I, I was I was looking it up the other day actually, and it's I, I believe it is not available on Blu-ray. I think it's on DVD only. Uh, but it's Well, I that, saw it on a 35 millimeter. I know because that's how you see everything in the New Beverly. Oh, yes. Oh, I know. It's very oppressive. Um, <laughs> it's very important to them. So, um, but the. Uh, and actually that speaks to something to talk about probably in the next in our official episode by the way um, is oh. uh Tarantino and uh, hateful Eight and seventy millimeter and stuff like that okay I don't know if you saw that article but anyway uh, I um, didn't so uh yeah no uh the what what I remember finding interesting about the character is that he does you know there's the the line that made the trailer which was what a wonderful time to release a monster movie or whatever uh-huh. um, and his instinct is one of hey people are going to they're going to need an escape like this is going to be a great time for me and it could be seen as a little bit selfish but his instinct it's like he's sort of stumbling into providing a public service um and stumbling into one of the key things that art can do which is provide a certain degree of release mm-hmm. and solace and uh, a communal exper- experience mm-hmm. and so it's something that and now uh, I'm not meaning to say that he does that completely by accident. He still does care about the audience and that right. sort of thing. But yeah, it's it's just he he arrives there not fully knowing. I think uh quite the depth of what he is doing. I don't know. In right. in from what I remember, and it's been years since I've seen it.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Uh yeah, and uh, so yeah, John Goodman's great. Of course. Picard is great. Kathy Moriarty is great. Of course. Uh, yeah. The, the kids. The kids are like all actors who
1: never went, didn't go on to bigger careers. Well, I believe one fine. of them was in Erie, Indiana. Okay. Don't which don't is pretty good.
0: That. Yeah. I
1: don't know about and that. And I think he was in Hocus Pocus, which is not very good.
0: I don't, I, I, I saw Hocus Pocus, but I don't really remember it. Um, so yeah, there's that. Uh, and then that night, I don't know why I'm like keeping track of the calendar. Yeah. <laughs> but the same night. Uh, I saw a movie that I believe you have already seen. In fact, I know you have, because we talked about it. Um, I saw Spotlight. Oh, yeah, all right. It is amazing. It's great. Uh, It is... um, It's sort of... I want to address something you said in our... I I guess it was our last movie journal, or whenever we we talked about Spotlight. Maybe
1: two two ago, ago. yeah, but yeah.
0: Um, Which is the idea that... It didn't, or, or you weren't expecting this kind of story from Tom McCarthy. And did I follow up with that? Yeah. Okay. All right. But it, here, here's the thing: I'm going to say that now. I've seen less Tom McCarthy than you have, but this, it, I don't want to sound like I'm denigrating Tom McCarthy because he made what is clearly one of the best movies of the year, mm-hmm. and I also love the Station Agent. But it yeah. didn't feel like Tom, a Tom McCarthy movie, even while I was watching it, kind of in a good way. Oh sure. Um, which again, it's not the Station is a good movie. I haven't seen any of his other movies, mm-hmm. um, so I don't want to sound like I'm denigrating it. But um, it it felt more like All the President's Men or something, yeah. which you've compared it to, and I guess a lot of people have because it's a pretty easy comparison to make. Uh, and uh, yeah, I liked that it didn't have. Um, it just sort of it's a movie that. Um, gets up a head of steam and then chugs along and never um takes you out of it or never like um spends a moment like recognize like for you to recognize that it's a movie you know it's sort of like yeah. you know we talked uh i know you still haven't seen it but um we talked about how secret in their eyes um was a disappointment right. for billy ray fans with Spotlight, Tom McCarthy kind of made the Billy Ray movie of the year. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, it has the feel of a very character-driven thriller. Yeah. Um, even though it's fact-based, it's very again, it's very much like all the President's Men. That that, that, that comparison goes more than uh, just the
1: surface. Well, the nature of the investigation is that there's just constant forward momentum you're always working towards something even if you don't 100 percent know what it is you're working towards just as in all the president's men they didn't know they were going to arrive at the president and in this yeah. i don't think they knew exactly how far up it was going to go so there is the definitely in there's a parallel there but also um yeah tom mccarthy with with uh station agent and the visitor and win-win uh, mm-hmm. I'm not even going to count the cobbler. Um, but those are movies that are, they kind of have a, for lack of a better term, a languid pace. Mm-hmm. Um, the visitors sort of because it deals with an issue, the issue of immigration. Um, it sort of picks up steam as it goes a little bit, but not to the extent of spotlight. Um, spotlight is a much more ambitious movie than he's ever made. And while there are certainly when it comes to character dynamics, there's a lot in common with his other films but yeah this is i i I didn't know that he was able to make something as propulsive as this um and it's also such a
0: uh just rich and accomplished screenplay by him and josh singer i think is the co-writer sure because i talked about being it being character driven um and this is going to sound trite when I say it, and it's to the, the credit of the screenplay and the performances that it's not trite in the movie, but all the, all the reporters who are investigating this are learning about themselves at the same rate they're learning about, uh, this mystery. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Um, but it never like puts the, you know, uh, it never puts its thumb on the scale when it comes to that, you know, it never like pushes it too far. Yeah. Uh, it, it all seems very
1: organic. Yeah. Um, which, which comes with those revelations, you yeah. know, it's one thing when, oh yes, we're just very cynical reporters. Now we're going to take down, uh, not even take down, we're just going to report on the church and show that, yeah, there's some stuff going on there. And then it's just so much deeper. And I do think, and this is a conversation I had on Twitter with uh, Scott and uh, Aaron Pinkston, mm-hmm. um, that and i know that obviously we shouldn't be thinking in terms of oscars cuz the oscars have their own thing but um but michael keaton is not a supporting character like he is a lead if there is one it is okay. him and i think there i think there i say if there is one there is and i think it's him you think so um yeah because to me and i don't want to it's weird to talk about spoilers but the 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 reveals Within his character over the course of the film, I feel like that that a clear there's a clear arc there as far as uh, culpability or, or whatever that I think mirror the the revelation, the revelations of the case itself and of the 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 themes of the film as well. And so I feel like he really is the, uh, the core of that film. I hope we get a chance
0: to watch it again with that in mind. Cause I just submitted my first round of uh, ballots for the online film critics society mm-hmm. awards. And um, th- in terms of, a- in terms of acting, the only person I nominated uh, was Rachel McAdams in supporting. Cause I think I-, I didn't see there being a clear lead. And I felt like there being more men in the movie than women, the men kind of canceled each other out um i you know plus what? you've got movies that are ranked higher for me that have more sure <laughs> like youth um that have more
1: uh supportive characters uh well, that are men so well just this didn't make it my favorite performance well there are, my favorite performances are the ones that aren't being talked about as far as oscars stanley tucci is great yeah yeah <laughs> and liev Schreiber is great liev Schreiber I Schreiber like is great the two uh, of them, and not
0: in it as much as i expected um yeah but there's kind of a, there's such a uh, I think you talked about this, such a parade of character actors that come through and guys like, um, Paul Guilfoyle, you know, who he is, yeah, he's great in the movie. And as a guy who watched eight years of CSI, I'm yeah. kind of like happy to see him like, uh, do so well and be so good in such a good movie. Yeah. Um, and he's the only guy, he's got what, three scenes. Um, yeah, if that, uh, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's really good. Um, what was he, uh, there was something else I was going to say about it now. Oh, speaking of the cast though, and then, what was his name? Brian James Darcy. Uh, the, Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. The, the one that you don't know. That's what's so we- Like
0: he's great in the movie and I'm glad, yeah. I'm glad that Tom McCarthy cast him, but I just wonder like clearly this screenplay attracted, attracted a lot of big talent. Like how did Tom McCarthy settle on Rachel McAdams, Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, Lee F. Schreiber, John Slattery and Brian James Darcy. Like how did, how did he settle on that? It's and again, I'm glad he did.
1: Yeah, I am, too. Uh, it is a weird thing because, you know, and it's and I feel terrible putting it this way. But as far as in, t- in terms of names, perhaps perhaps he thought, like, we can't have another name in this. Like, we can't have all these people, all these stars and well-known people vying for the audience's attention. We need somebody who's just a good actor and uh-huh. will pay attention and will be on his side uh, but we, you know, we can't be watching yeah. a movie star for every performance. So it could be that, but to me, it's also just like, Hey, you want to be in this movie and be the one person no one is ever going to talk <laughs> about.
0: Yeah. But he's, he's great. And also I feel like maybe by having an unrecognizable thing in there, it kind of grounds the rest of the, absolutely. And especially having him have a very, um, non movie starish uh, haircut and mustache. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Um, but we're, we're introduced to him before we're introduced to Mark
1: Ruffalo in mm-hmm. the movie. um, yeah. And he's and he's one of the last people that we see. Yeah. I mean, we guys, I guess we see all of them, but I feel like he's, you know, he's there on the phone, and he's, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, that whole and so you know, you're you're at the moment you're thinking in terms of online film critics society, but once that's done, obviously there's the much more prestigious. We're
0: not talking about our beepies. fantasy. No, no, oh, okay, no.
1: good. There's the much more prestigious beepies, um, which has. The Bruce McGill McGill Award for performances under fifteen minutes. Yeah, the whole category could be this movie. Yeah, you know.
0: Although I've got one, one male and one female from this year already that blow and everyone from Spotlight out of the water. Really? Yeah. I might as well. Uh, who is it? Uh, Can we get a, a little preview? My, I think I've already talked about my. Um, female potential nominee for best performance under 15 minutes is going to be Jane Fonda in youth. Okay. I think that's going to be for a a big one for a lot of people. My male best performance under 15 minutes in a movie. And I don't think you've seen this yet. I think, um, yeah, you will have a chance to soon. Um, Michael, Sarah in entertainment.
1: Oh, okay. And that's, that's an under five minute performance, but it is, yeah, it's something else. That's why the, it's why the category exists.
0: All right. Um, and then, uh, let's talk about another, uh, we talked about, Two movies that I really like. Let's talk about one that's a bit of a disappointment. Although when I wrote my review, I'm sure sure this happens to you sometimes. Um, When you're on the fence about a movie, Mm -hmm. writing the review will help you lean more one way or the other. Undoubtedly. So I finished the review feeling more positive about this movie than when I started it. Okay. But I was a little bit let down by Charlie Kaufman and Duke Johnson's Anomalisa. Okay. Um, But I if you i don't want to focus on the parts that let me down because it is mostly wonderful and my review will bear that out it just has this feeling at the end of things that it's for all of its charlie kaufmanness and which i both i what by which i mean its weirdness its f- funniness mm-hmm. and its beauty those are things that i think are in uh, like emotional beauty less than visual beauty you yep. know what i mean um for all of that, at the end of it, it's actually kind of a trite and familiar midlife crisis story. It's just, you know, it doesn't seem that like we learned all that much other than, uh, yeah, I guess uh, you're a suburban dad of a certain age. You're maybe going to start to feel a little restless or uh, disillusioned with your life. That seems like something we all know to the point that it's like a cultural cliche. Did you find yourself...
1: Thinking as you like, once you got to the root of the film and just like, oh, it's just this. Did you find yourself getting almost cynical about all the other Charlie Kaufman esque elements and just thought either one of two things or both, which is, yeah, you can dress it up with all your bullshit, <laughs> but I
0: still see what it is. But no, or, that's the thing is, it's it's not bullshit. Okay, there's no point. It was. It really wasn't until the movie was just ending that it sunk in that I hadn't. Um as a viewer, i don't think I had gained all that much uh right. from it, but the entire it's ninety minutes and the entire experience is uh is wonderful and very funny and uh uh a lot of fun to look at and it does have it does have moments of charlie kaufman weirdness there's a at one point he goes to someone's office which is in the basement. And the office itself, he walks past a room full of secretaries all clacking away like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like it's, uh, I, I don't know, um, the Hudsucker proxy or whatever. Sure. And then he walks into an office that is enormous, and there's a desk way like a football field away under a light, and there's a golf cart that he has to take from the door of the office to the guy's desk. That's such a Charlie Kaufman type of thing. Yeah. Um, it's, a
1: little, uh, it's also a little Terry
0: Gilliam. Yeah, I yeah. I think. It's true, um, and so there are there are weird little things like that, and the the I, there are three vocal performances, but yeah. um, I mean they're almost almost three vocal performers. Performers, yes, because yes. Tom Noonan does about I don't know seventy five different people <laughs> yeah. at different points. I mean, <laughs> he has there are a few major characters that Tom Noonan does who have uh, you know he's the hotel manager and he's the cab driver and he's. Um, uh, the main characters, ex-girlfriend and the Lisa's best friend. There's a few main characters, mm-hmm. but also everyone else who so every little bit of yeah. off screen dialogue or just like passing uh, line or incidental thing is all Tom Noonan. So he, it really has to be 70, 75 different yeah. <laughs> characters that he does. Uh, and he's fantastic. I feel like Tom Noonan really gets the Charlie Kaufman sort of like the, 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 the perfect blend of absurdity and mundanity, At the same time, Tom Noonan, I think, really gets in. uh, uh, There's the the opening. Now, well, the opening scene is on the plane, but when he gets the Michael is the character voiced by David Thewlis and the ride from the airport to the hotel where Tom Noonan does the cab driver, who's uh, sort of passive aggressively selling the character on the uh, tourist attractions of Cincinnati and like, (laughs) here's what you got to do while you're here. Um, but not in a way that's very excited, just in that sort of like mundane, you got to yeah. do this, you know? Uh, and how does it feel like, what do you think you're better than this? But it's all under the surface. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, and there's all kinds of stuff like that. Um, so I definitely want to, you know, if I were, if I were a rotten tomatoes approved critic, which no. I'm not, you keep at it for some reason. I, I spent a couple of years, I think that's right. Um, and I had to come down on either fresh or rotten. I would give this a fresh,
1: Sure. Sure. Absolutely.
0: Um, But I do, uh, uh, I do think just knowing what Charlie Kaufman is capable of. Yeah. In terms of like being John Malkovich and eternal sunshine as well as mine. And even Synecdoche, New York, which I have trouble with. Yeah. um, Is definitely a much richer movie than this one is. So I, I guess based on my Charlie Kaufman expectations, Uh, I was a little let down, but I'd still recommend the movie.
1: A lot of the stuff that you're talking about reminds me of, of my reaction to inception where there's, you know, there's a lot going on and there's, and it's very ambitious and good for them. But in the end, like if you boil it, if now, of course, a movie's about more than just its story or what it's exploring. It's also how it's exploring, of course. But when you boil both of them down, you just think like, Hey, wait a second. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's still important to explore these things, but it's been explored many times before. What just, are are you trying to distract me from the fact that you've got a kind of a run of the mill story or, or do you think maybe Charlie Kaufman found, I mean, he's, he is now, you know, he is a middle-aged man. Um, Yeah. Do you think that these things do stem very much from him so much so that, that like it's, it's organic it's 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 a real thing that is going on in his life and he wants to find a way to make it as vital to the viewer as it is to him right now maybe knowing full well that people have seen this before but you know what i haven't felt this before so i'm going to try and make people see this in a way they haven't seen it before i don't know i might Uh, be giving too much credit
0: yeah i mean you have to see the movie to see if you're right i didn't feel that way um but yeah. Okay. Um, I should say it's also, it was originally a stage production done 10 years ago. Right. And they have not updated the setting. It still takes place in 2005 that's and that's, <laughs> it's kind of odd
1: the characters. Are like I'm going to go see uh, Munich, which no, is very strange,
0: but it, like, there is a part where it's clear that at the time of the, uh, at the time the movie is taking place, the uh, Iraq war is still very much in full oh, swing. Okay, and that, sure. that sort of, that comes up. um, and that's kind of odd and there aren't smartphones i guess Mm, okay because
1: when when was the iphone 2007 2007. yes i know because i was interning at larger than life films Uh and uh this isn't super negative, is it that uh, there was, there was an assistant whose whole job that day was to stand in line at (sighs) at an Apple store and get somebody a phone. I won't say who I'm going to use. It's the head of larger than life.
0: Yeah. I'm going to use a phrase that I don't like when people use, but I'm going to say this town, man. Oh yeah. Um, I don't like that because most people who live in Los Angeles have nothing to do with the film industry. Um, so yeah, you could just say this, you could say this industry. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that that is a, uh, stereotype
1: that I don't like. Okay. Uh, So in both of my internships, the first one I had that. uh And in the second one I got, I'm sure I told this before that I got to listen in on a, you'll never work in this town again. call.
0: (laughs) Well, I think I told the story that I had a PA job where uh, it was a real PA on the movie, but one day my me and another PA were taken off of our movie related jobs and our entire job for the day was to pack up the producer's wine collection and have it shipped to her vacation home, uh, outside of Seattle. (laughs) We had to like get dry ice and like find out what the law was for like shipping wine, uh, That was, that was an entire
1: day's work. These people, it is their (laughs) job to make movies that relate to regular people. Yeah. Are you shitting me? Yeah. Um, (laughs) all right so now we
0: already talked about hunger games yeah so should, should i just power through for a bit and yeah sure i think you've seen a couple of these okay. i don't i know you haven't seen this one because okay. it um has literally only played once in los angeles um and you weren't there on monday so <laughs> you haven't seen it um it's a documentary um and i'm forgetting the director's name natalie something um about a an argentinian artist um, named a conceptual artist named Nicola Constantino and the documentary is called Nicola Constantino, la artefacta. Um, (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And I saw it and she was there in person. Um, the uh, Nicola Constantino was not the director. Okay. Um, and it's, uh, it's, uh, it's at red cat, which is a place that I love and I love that it exists. It's like, have you been to Red Cat? I've not. It's the Roy and Edna, D- Edna Disney Cal Arts Theater, and oh, okay. it's in the same building as the Disney Concert Hall. It's around the other side. Oh, okay. And it's this weird. I love that it's part of like, Dis- it's like Disney branded, and mm-hmm. it doesn't have like Mickey Mouse or anything. But it's right. like Disney is in the name, but it's this <laughs> weird, like slightly bigger. Like it's it's like a black box theater except slightly bigger. But it okay. is like the theater raking is just like there are the seat raking seats are just like pieces of plywood together. They have chairs on top of it's a completely black room and it has a bar and it's at the Disney concert hall and they show like art films. I don't, I don't mean like the stuff you see at like a landmark theater. I mean art films. Um, and I love this place so much. And I'm, um, uh, so I, I, will, I will occasionally see things that sound interesting because they're there. Um, is this film going to get any kind of distribution? I at have all? no idea. Okay. Uh, if this, is, if this is the end of it or, or what. But, um, it's a really, it's a, I guess it's a pretty standard, you know, portrait of an artist, but it's not standard because the artist is not standard. I find, I, I didn't know her work. Um, apparently she's, um, in town the whole week doing stuff at, Cal Arts, which Mm is um, obviously associated with the Roy at Disney Cal Arts Theater. Um, And Cal Arts is a very uh, for decades uh, home for uh, experimental filmmaking. Um, So that fits here, but also other arts. Uh, But she's a woman who her art this. okay. I will recommend this movie to people if you are interested in conceptual art, but not if you were squeamish about animals being harmed or shown as dead. She does a lot of art with dead flesh. Oh, she okay. has these, she didn't kill the animals to do it though, right? Well, Oh, okay. in one case, okay. part of the, part of the thing was her, um, it was a video installation type thing. She did of her, uh, killing and butchering a cow, um, herself while wearing a sort of a slinky red cocktail dress. And so she used see her kill a cow in the thing she stabs it in the neck and lets it bleed out and then strings it up lets it bleed out some more then cuts away the uh the skin and then hacks it into different cuts um and all in a red dress of course she gets covered in blood yeah um
1: that's for a number of reasons. I think I would have have a hard time watching that.
0: Yeah. It's not my favorite. That wasn't my favorite part of the movie. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it is t- true to Richard her. Donner would be so angry. <laughs> yeah. It's true to her as an artist. Yeah. Uh, for what it's worth, she doesn't in no, at no time does she kill an animal solely for her art. Like okay. this, this calf, this calf, it's a, it's a full cow. This cow was scheduled to be slaughtered for its meat anyway you know what i mean like that makes it
1: that uh, a little bit more acceptable and
0: then the other stuff she does with um pig carcasses i guess but not even carcasses it's just the skin it's again she's using the skin of pigs that were already butchered for their meat but she making footballs out of them uh making balls out of them (laughs) she makes these she she gathers the skin up into a ball form then puts it in a mold and lets it harden and then takes the mold out and so she has like these Balls the size of like uh, like exercise balls. Oh yeah, that yeah okay. are like folded up dead pigs. You can see like the face, like flattened in the side of it. Oh. It's really weird. Oh boy. Uh, she also this is one that I love, uh, and this is not an animal thing. This is her thing. Okay. She had she had liposuction specifically for this thing, and then made soap out of her own fat. Okay. Which uh, as we all know is possible. Uh, yeah, we and know fight it five club. Club. and it is possible. She actually did it. Um and then carved the so the bars of soap are in the shape of her torso, like from shoulder to ass cheeks, I guess. Okay. Um and then made a commercial, like a sort of corny, like her relaxing in the bath, rubbing soap made from her own fat <laughs> on her and try, like being sort of a commercial type sexy, a commercial for yeah. her her soap. Uh, it's uh, really interesting stuff. I appreciate her commitment. Uh, yeah, um, good for her. Uh, so I, I guess I would count myself as a fan of Nicola Constantino, but again, sure. not for
1: not for everyone. Not for everyone. Yeah, definitely not. Okay, then, she's somebody that I think I can respect from afar. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: hold on, I'm going to take a drink of
1: water. Okay, I'll just vamp. So, uh, so anyway, all right. I uh, had home. a big thing in. Um, okay.
0: <laughs> And I guess I was in an art 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 uh, art film m- mood. Okay. Because I went home and I watched uh, called up on Amazon. I don't have a sponsor. Uh, I called up on some streaming service. Okay. Um, a film that I had never seen. One of the what I guess one of the blind spots for me. Elaine um, Renee's Hiroshima Monomore. Oh, okay. Have you seen it? I have not. You've seen Last Year at Marriott Bad. Yes. Uh, as have I um, this one I don't think I love Last Year at Marriott Bad. I don't think this is. Quite that good, although the opening, the very long opening sequence of Hiroshima Mon is stunning, um, and uh, to a certain and to a certain extent works on its own, um, because the whole it, it it's a movie that mixes narrative and documentary. But the whole beginning is you never see the faces of the two people talking. It's a man and a woman, one of them talking about her memories of the bombing of Hiroshima mm-hmm. meaning her memories from France where she's from the, you know, right. learning about it and seeing images and reading stories about it. And the man telling her basically these memories aren't yours. These are not valid. And it's all, you're hearing the voice and occasionally seeing very tight close-ups. You realize, okay, these are two lo- lovers talking post coitus in bed yeah. about this, but you never see their faces at first. And it's cut with shots from, hiroshima now and at the time some of the very disturbing hmm. uh and it i'm not sure how like the sequence must be i feel it feels like it's the first 20 minutes of the movie um i don't know if that's an exaggeration i'm always kind of bad at uh telling yeah. how long things are but it's uh it's a stunning sequence um after that the camera does sort of pull back and we see their faces and we we learn that this is Um, the woman is a french actress in hiroshima to make a movie about hiroshima and um the japanese man who speaks french is a sort of a man that she had a one night stand with the night before um and it's just sort of concerns them walking around and talking about themselves and their lives and their pasts uh but also about hiroshima and about the idea of a sort of liberal Westerner having sympathetic feelings about Hiroshima, but someone who is actually from there and who lost, he, he he is from there and he happened to be out of town, but his entire family was killed. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and you know, the idea of those people being at a a certain, very, very distant perspective. They're on the same page. Sure. But their actual experiences of the event put them on different planets. Yeah. Sympathy Uh, and empathy
1: are very different things. Yeah. Uh,
0: and, um, so they talk about that, but um, it gets into other issues that I don't. I don't want to give away her past. I guess not that it's a kind of. It's not like a movie that has a twist ending, but you do learn things about um, who she was during the war and during you know the German occupation mm-hmm. um, uh, as a you know teenage girl. I guess at the time in in France um, that lend different emotional weight uh to her feelings of about World War 2 and the end, in the end of World War 2. Uh it's a lovely and lyrical film. It's not as um uh ob- or opaque as last year Mary Bad can be. It definitely has more of a story uh, okay, yeah. than that. Um but it is uh it yeah, it's it's a gorgeous movie and it is um I mean, the fact that I say it's not as good as last year at Marion Bad is more a compliment to last year at Marion yeah. Cause this the Hiroshima <laughs> more is, uh, I feel like I'm being stupid. Like most of our listeners have probably seen the movie, but I don't know if that's true or not. Uh, like they're all sitting at home going, yeah, duh, we saw this movie forever ago, <laughs> but, uh, I'm just not catching up to it. And I think it's uh, beautiful, brilliant. Okay. Powering on to a movie comes out in a couple weeks. And uh, this one, I, against my better judgment, I was looking forward to this
1: movie. Okay.
0: But it hasn't been getting Did, great. Is your judgment correct? No. No, okay. I, I said I was looking forward to it. Okay. Movie. Oh, I see. I and see. Ag- but against that, it turned out to be pretty much a stinker. And that's uh, In the Heart of the Sea.
1: Oh. The Ron Howard. I was movie. looking forward to that one. Yeah. I,
0: I like I like Ron Howard when he's on. Yeah. um, And... The thing is, the things that I sometimes don't like about Ron Howard being maybe a little um, sentimental or theatrical uh, yeah. in a bad way. There's good ways of being theatrical. Basil, Basil Erman, for example. Um, uh, those were not my problems with it. My problems with it is that I don't uh, I don't understand why he made the movie like I. I don't know what he was trying to get across do you know what I mean? I guess that's the definition of a journeyman is that he's just, uh, yeah, you know, he didn't write the script. He's just interpreting it, but the movie, uh, and I, I've already written my review. I won't go up for a week or two, whenever the movie comes out. Um, and I basically said that like something along the lines of, this is the, based on the true story of, uh, the whale ship Essex, which was, a partial inspiration from Moby Dick. Right. And when you leave the theater, all you feel is that, okay, now I'm aware of the true story of the whale ship Essex right. and the fact that it was a partial inspiration from Moby Dick. I don't feel anything more in terms of investment or uh, movement or catharsis or anything that I expect to get out of a movie. It just seems like for all of its, uh, spectacle, it's a pretty straightforward, uh, account in the actual telling then the part where it gets goes from being bland to being bad, okay, is um, the framing device, oh, okay, which concerns um, Herman Melville, okay, uh, played by Ben Wishaw, all right. Whom I uh, I said this on Twitter a little uh, a week or two ago that I whenever he's in a movie, whenever I hear Ben Wishaw's voice, I expect him to address everyone as Sixsmith from Cloud Atlas <laughs> because oh, okay, that's yes. uh, what James Dar- James Darcy's character. <laughs> yes. um, uh, it's really going to throw
1: you off for Paddington. I got to say,
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, so he plays Herman Melville and he's going to interview Brendan Gleeson. Um, and this is 30 years after the, mm-hmm. uh, sinking of the whaleship Essex. Um, I like calling it the whaleship Essex. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> um, very classy. And, uh, Brendan Gleeson is, um, the only, uh, person left. Uh, you know, not that many people survived, And of them 30 years later, he's the only one still alive because, right. uh, in the flashbacks, uh, which I say flashbacks with the actual main story, um, he's played by Tom Holland, future, future Spider-Man, Tom Holland. Oh, okay. Um, which also doesn't like from Tom Holland to Brendan Gleeson in the movie, it's 30 years. And it's like,
1: there's more than a 30 year difference between those two actors. It's like, well, maybe the 30 years have been tough.
0: Yeah. That's that's actually, yeah. I mean, people probably aged, uh, you know forty five year olds in eighteen fifty probably looked more like sixty two year olds or whatever yeah. Ray Gleason is,
1: and when um, you go through the stuff that he went through yeah. on the <laughs> <Whale> ship, Essex <laughs> yeah the, uh, the Whale ship Essex. you know you don't um <laughs> life's not about preserving your your figure and such
0: yeah uh but this stuff is just the movie honestly could it would uh bring down the runtime and it would be a better movie if you just cut out the framing device and just mm. told the story as is. Cause it doesn't need to be there. It also doesn't make sense because there's huge parts of this thing. Like he's supposed to be recounting the story. There's huge swaths of the story that Tom, the Tom Holland character isn't anywhere near. Yeah. Like why would, why is Brennan Gleeson talking about the meeting where uh, Chris Hemsworth's character found out he was going to be first mate, not captain. Like he hadn't even met the two. Like hadn't even met
1: that, <laughs> by that point. It'd be funny if after those long clips—not clips, but those long scenes—it cuts back and he goes, "Some guy told me," <laughs> or "So I met," <laughs> or "Yeah." <laughs> but it's also corny as hell. Sure. Um,
0: there's a uh, there's a line in the movie when he says something about uh, we sailed to the edge of sanity which is a very corny line. And there's also a part that I'm going to, I'm not going to give away what it is, but I am going to, this is a minor, it's not even really a spoiler, but if you want to have the belly laugh at the stupidity that my wife and I had when we watched this movie, that'll be a spoiler for that. But there's a part where, okay. uh, In the flashback of the main story, um, this character, the Tom Holland character, um, we learned something that he, you know, in terms of surviving after the um after the sinking you know uh he did something that not everyone might approve of mm-hmm. and it <laughs> cuts back to this room that brennan gleason and ben wish i in and brennan gleason says that he's, he's like, i've never told anyone that before he's like and he says do you think my wife knew that she would still love me. And then out of the shadows steps Michelle Fairley as the wife and says, she would like, wait, you were just hiding in the shadows. <laughs> like it's so corny and ridiculous. And I really wish that if she just that she sat down and said she would, the Brennan Gleeson went, ah, <laughs> like that's what the, that would have been the correct reaction. Like how long have you been there? And then in his Irish bro he's like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> uh, Oh yeah. The, the accents aren't good in the movie, but oh, that's, I'm sure. that's fine. Um, Cause you've, you've got people. From, what
1: are you trying to pull Melville?
0: <laughs> uh, you've got people from all over the world, Australia, Ireland, mm-hmm. uh, England and stuff playing 1850s Nantucket accents. Hmm. So it's I'm not like, I'm not someone who's bothered by accents being all over the place. So I don't shout sure. that as a, a, a demerit. Um, cause I, like, I'm not sure. Like that's a weird accent now mm-hmm. trying to, correctly backdate that accent and then applying that to a cast that is from all over the world. There is a lot of inconsistency in the accents.
1: That's fine with me though. That doesn't bother me. That's interesting. And this is just a side thing. I was, uh, I'm fascinated by how accents have evolved. Uh Like I never knew, like, how do you get a Southern accent? Like I can, I can get a Savannah accent from the British. I can get that. Okay. But how does that turn into this other thing? I was watching, I think it might have been Jimmy Kimmel or something like that. And Liam Neeson was on. Uh And he was talking about this as a a point of interest for him. And he said said that the Kentucky accent and other accents like it are very similar, are are just an evolution from the Scottish accent. Uh So then he does a Scottish accent, and then he does a Kentucky accent, and then he does the bridge between the two Uh and it's really awesome to see. And, uh, and so I gotta watch this. Yeah. And, and it's something that always interested me about, uh, when you go back and watch John Adams, there's various, there's like varying degrees of Britishness. Uh Um, and it's something that bothered me for a while, but then you watch any number of the making of stuff and, these actors did their research, and they said this is probably what, what he would have sounded like, and yep. that sort of thing. And it's this uh, like what uh, Danny Day Lewis did with uh, Lincoln—that okay. his voice was not the authoritative thing that you would hope it was, but it's, right. it's this other thing. And so a little bit readier. So maybe, hey, maybe the you know what? I know that's <laughs> not true. I was going to say maybe the cast for in the heart of the sea uh, did that. And, it, no, I, they
0: probably did have some consultants. It seems yeah. like. Uh, do you ever like see a movie like that? That. You know, as soon as it's over, like, no one is going to remember this movie in six months. It's yeah. that kind of movie. And yet, I'm marveling at how expensive and how much sure. time and how many people worked to make In the Heart of the Sea a movie that is going to be forgotten.
1: Oh, uh, it's, I, 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 I hate to be mean about it because it's not, uh, yeah, but it's, I tend to think about it more with TV shows, even though they don't cost as much. Uh-huh. But the thing that gets me is. You know, TV shows are meant to last, which is to say they're meant to be renewed and renewed again. Uh They're meant to be around for at least five seasons. Right. And then you watch the first episode or the first two and you think, no way. How on earth? (laughs) There's no end game here. What did you think? What were you guys going to do? What was the plan after? I'll be generous and say the first season after six episodes, what yeah. was the plan? Cause I don't think you guys know where, where you're headed. And then of course it gets canceled as, as it inevitably was going to. And, and you just think like, did no one think this was going to happen? This, this isn't possible. Yeah. And I'm trying to think what, like what the example it's usually, stuff that's, it's usually, it's really high concept yeah. stuff.
0: Wh- Wayward pines. There's no H. There's no H in, no H in there. Um, all right, let's move on. Oh, I will say about In the Heart of the Sea, Anthony Dodd-Mantle's um, cinematography is fantastic.
1: Uh, How fantastic <laughs> oh, is okay, it? Okay,
0: okay. <laughs> um, and it made me, it actually made me want to see Rush, which I never saw, but um, you saw it, right? Rush? Rush. Oh, uh,
1: no, I didn't. Oh, okay. I, oh.
0: Uh, but that was Ron Howard and Anthony dodd Mantle paired on rush but you know what
1: he notably was not nominated for that either okay
0: well i don't think um you should get your hopes up damn it here but it is great speaking of the cinematography being the best thing in the movie and here's my eighth and final movie for this uh movie journal watch out last night i saw sicario Sicario. yeah i don't know and uh i think at a certain point i gotta get I got to admit that maybe Denis Villeneuve, Villeneuve yeah. is not for me because hmm. I didn't. I, I, mean, I like. I like a lot about the plotting and the screenplay, and I like. I was reading about apparently, Benicio um, del Toro's character. Uh, I don't. I never know if these sort of things are apocryphal or not, but apparently, in the first draft when he was hired on, that character was a lot more verbose, and he. um, kept talking with the director and the screenwriter about like, let's dial this back. Let's give this yeah. back. And to That's the point where call. he, he barely talks in the movie yeah. and it's very powerful. And, I, and, but I, the reason I doubt that is because I feel like that impulse is kind of there throughout the whole movie. Like for as complicated as a plot is Sicario never over explains itself it, right. to the point right. where there are certain <laughs> developments where I had to go like, wait, what, What happened? But then if you think about it, you're like, oh, okay, I see how A follows B, follows C, or the other way around. Um, And so that I liked about it. I liked the plotting. um, And I liked that it was a movie that trusted its audience to figure out what was going on. And of course, I love the cinematography. That's been true across every Denny Villeneuve film that I've seen. Um, I've loved the cinematography. But I kind of felt like it, the movie felt kind of adolescent to me in the idea in the sense that it was, I felt like it was trying too hard to shock me a lot. And like the, I mean the stuff, the beginning sequence is great. Like, I mean, yeah. is there's some truly shocking stuff in the, in, in, in the, I, I don't even know if it's the prologue, but when they, you know, find the house and they find the house and there's bodies and there's uh, uh, yeah, uh, like that's, that is there is a, a number of shocking things it's not just the yeah um the the dead bodies that are shocking but there's you know the battering ram thing which is again another reason i'm glad i don't watch trailers because that's in the trailer uh, i watched yeah. the trailer after i've seen the movie but the their arrival at the house is like you you sort of you see an overhead like a helicopter shot you've seen the movie yeah. so you know what i'm saying this for the listeners um a helicopter shot and you see that there are SWAT team members like coming up in the house and it's not until like a few moments before you realize, Oh, there's also a huge truck and Oh, that shit's about to burst through the wall. Yeah. And then it cuts to a shot from inside with the guy inside playing video games and this fucking truck comes through the wall. Yeah. Like that was very exhilarating. I loved that. Um, and that whole, yeah, the whole opening sequence I, I, I liked, but as it went on, I kind of felt like, uh, it, it was, uh, it just felt smug and, um, it, I don't want to say dumb, but like thought the kind of thing that thinks it's smarter than it is. Like the kind of high school student, a college student who's like, Hey, pretty upsetting, huh? Hey, who's the real bad guy here? Like yeah, yeah. that sort of thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I understand, like, I feel like there's a good movie to be made with this story because I like the idea that Emily Blunt's character, um, in theory is the if this were a better movie the premise would be that at, like at each level she sinks further into this mm-hmm. story she constantly has to reassess herself and her mor- morals and her
1: ethics yeah
0: that's the idea but i feel like as much, much as i usually love emily blunt she's kind of a bland character here and i feel like she she goes to the place of being morally opposed to what's going on. And this is more in the screenplay than the character, um, way too soon. Mm -hmm. So we don't get that. Like we never feel like that tension of, is she going to get corrupted by, by, by what she's been sunk into? Is she going to, um, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's an idea that I, I, can't remember where I heard this from. It's called hedonic adaptation, I think, hmm. which is the idea. And the, the example when this was explained to me, the example was, um, you know, when you and I were first driving or first, uh, you know, in our younger driving uh, years, gas cost a certain amount, mm-hmm. right? And the idea of gas costing what it does now, yeah, would be unthinkable to us. We would sure say we're never going to drive again. We're just going to, no. uh, but it happens gradually, and you become used to it. Yeah. And I feel like the, the
1: boiling the frog thing. Yes. That sort of thing.
0: Um, except not for psychopaths. Um, (laughs) um, and I feel like, I guess at this point I'm doing what Roger said not to do, which is reviewing the movie that I wish I'd seen, Yeah. but the story sort of like seemed like it should be lending itself to that kind of, um, is that, that kind of tension of, is she being corrupted by this? But she's so, she keeps Josh Brolin and his people at arm's length from the jump yeah. and it makes her, um, a, a less interesting character to me.
1: You know, uh, it would appear you and I are the only ones in the world that think that, um, <laughs> because yeah, 93% are Rotten Tomatoes. Well, no, no, I, I like the movie. Oh, okay. I mean her character, uh, her, uh, it's not her, prefer- it's not her fault. Uh, okay. as an actress, she's obviously a wonderful actress and I think she does a very good job in it. But, um, But I mean, people have been talking left and right about like, oh, this character is so strong. So this and that it's like she is strong. Like there is strength in her. But as a character, she's not the strongest I've seen. I've seen much more. um, I don't know. It's male, female. It it doesn't really matter. uh, The idea of somebody just getting further and further into this. If you want another example that is similar to this. Benicio del Toro in traffic. Mm -hmm. There's a character who's genuinely, he has no idea what side he's on. And he's pretty sure that no matter what I do, I'm doing the wrong thing. I am in a horrible position. Like there's a part where he, he finds out that that the general that he's working for, um, is, uh, is corrupt. And so then he informs, on the general to the, uh, the DEA, the DEA. Yeah. And when they say like, Hey, you should feel good about this. And then he says, I feel like a traitor. Why would he feel like it? Like that's complexity, I think. And, and Benicio del Toro sells it really well. And I feel like, and traffic is a film that I, when I look back on, I think that is also a little bit high schoolish. Yeah. Uh, which is what, you know, I saw it in high school and I loved it. Yeah. Um,
0: but he's great. He's He is increasing. When I think back of the, on the movie, the it is my favorite part of Sicario. But, yeah. No, oh. in traffic. Oh, no question. Uh, and, and in Sicario, but, yeah. uh, my favorite, my favorite scene in traffic is the one in the swimming pool. With yeah. him. And he,
1: I believe it's important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, and, uh, but yeah, I, I find her character to be like, she's pretty pure throughout the idea of her yeah. compromising. It's, it's pretty clear immediately. Like, I mean, it, they do a thing at the end where she has a choice to make. Or she has two choices to make and the performances sell it, mm-hmm. but, yeah, it's st- yeah. but it feels unearned. But I think, yeah, I think,
0: I think we're supposed to see Benicio del Toro as his character in this movie as while beguiling the bad guy but be, simply because he's the more interesting character yeah. he flirts with becoming the anti-hero of the movie which is not clearly not what they're going for because he does awful things i think
1: i always saw him as an anti-hero i don't think i ever saw him as a villain uh, yeah I, uh, I, I don't know if that's maybe i'm
0: uh, maybe i'm wrong maybe he was supposed to be but uh yeah i i just felt like it and it also doesn't help that um although it's an it's an interesting choice it doesn't help me Identifying with the supposed protagonist, that she is essentially
1: sidelined for the climax of the movie. Yeah, that's an odd choice as well. Uh, um, yeah, I also enjoy Josh Brolin. I like, yeah, he's. Good. I like the way his character is written, and I like the way he plays him because that's what ambiguity looks like: is somebody who's surprisingly like. There's intensity on Benicio del Toro. There's pin- intensity for Emily Blunt. He's just kind of going along. Yeah, and he understands the stakes, but he's comfortable with it. Like that's yeah. ambiguity. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I feel yeah. like what needs to happen is the director, whose name I won't say because it's Voldemort apparently, uh, is he needs to. I was excited to. Oh. Uh, I was excited to uh, see what he does next, but what I want him to do, I want him to make a horror movie because he's great with tension. Uh-huh. You know, I mean, the thing that got me about Sicario is just how on the edge of my seat I was, just because they had created such a such a tone of paranoia that I felt like at any moment a bullet could take one of these people out and you're almost expecting it.
0: That is again, that opening sequence with the raid on the house yeah, is, is great. It sets and, the pace and it does introduce that, that yeah. feeling that like either, yeah, a bullet or a bomb or something is going to happen at any moment. Yeah. Just because
1: the, the, the police have taken control of the situation. Yeah. That does not mean that they are safe. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, um there's also a character who's a Mexican cop that we, um, to from time to time. And I kind of feel like by the end of his first scene, I kind of could guess where his story was going. Yeah. Um, and that that's a, that's a problem because it also feels like it has such a, I'm trying not to spoil it for people, but it feels like the inclusion of that character has such a moralistic, uh, it, it, um, inspiration or you know reason yeah. reason for being um, and for it to be that obvious and superficial uh, it, it, it adds to that feeling of it being kind of like high school kid
1: yeah everything leading up to that everything leading up to the what eventually happens with that character yeah. I think feels just a little obvious and then what eventually happens I think like oh all right I didn't expect it to be to go that way Um, but yeah we can talk more when the mics are off because yeah but yeah Uh,
0: i will say that um i I did my favorite part of those scenes were the breakfast that he would eat every morning Uh, his wife would maybe make him like those rancheros and made me really hungry
1: (laughs) (laughs) uh anyway so yeah it's uh well i'm sorry you didn't like it that much i mean i don't it's it's in my top 20 i think okay um Uh, it's not gonna be there for me yeah
0: but, uh, yeah. Um, and then you should have one more, right?
1: One I do. More... Okay. I saw Creed. Okay. Uh, directed by Ryan Coogler and Coogs are Coogs. Absolutely. Oh, I don't care for that. Um, it is as good as everybody's saying it's solid. It's a really, really good movie. Um, it's, you know, when you it just, just as you can with, with a lot of films, it's like what we were talking about with, with, uh, uh, Anim- Animal Lisa. Did I say that right? It's Lisa, Pardon me. Anomalisa. Um, and so, yeah, Animal Lisa is about this woman named Lisa who can turn into animals, <laughs> obviously. And yeah. so um, where the core of it is so simple mm-hmm. and we've seen it a million times, certainly when it's a Rocky movie, we've seen it a million times before, but everything around it, is handled so well from the performances to the way it's shot to the way it's edited um to the gen- general story structure and even little choices like uh i guess score is not a little choice but mm-hmm. so we know eventually we're going to hear we're going to hear like the rocky theme with the trumpets and stuff like that uh-huh. but thankfully we're not going to hear very much of it uh but that is not a, a, a theme that is, uh, that one... F- transitions into easily so there there are trumpets throughout the trumpets and horns throughout the whole score Hmm. but in a very in a very uh subtle way and then building when they should build until finally once the rocky theme kicks in and again it's only just a few it's just a few notes once that happens it feels completely organic both in the story for the character and with the score and i love it
0: i'm like getting chills imagining that oh I got I got
1: goosebumps so much. Cause you know, you know it's coming. <laughs> and you're just like, but you don't know when. And it feels like it should have happened already, but it hasn't yet. And holy shit. And then when it does, you're just like, fuck yeah, man. Like and that's not music that like gets me going, but it's what it means. Yeah. You know, it's a yeah. film that I think absolutely, you know, as is the case with with, with our culture and the Rocky movies. Uh, we have a history with them. There are certain bits of iconography, uh, certain characters that we have an attachment to. And this is a film that addresses all of that without overplaying the hand. Um, it's, I I can't speak highly enough about it. It is in my top 10. It's number 10, so it'll probably get bumped out, but it's very good. And I mean, there's a, there's been a late surge for supporting actor for sylvester stallone and it is deserved oh good he is it's the it's the best performance i've ever seen him give um wow and i know and people would say like well it's sylvester stallone first he's great in the first rocky yeah um he's really good in first blood which i never saw he's good in copland he's good in copland like he is a he has good performances in him as long as it's the right type of character and you know he's playing rocky balboa obviously he's you know he's well acquainted with the character but they really give him some great material to work with and he hits it out of the park um and so if he wins supporting actor which it's looking like he could great i'm thrilled <laughs> and so it's but michael b jordan is is also great i've I, i've known he's you know we've known he's good for a while He was really great on the wire and then yeah. i thought he was good in chronicle um I actually Friday never night saw Lights. Friday Night Lights. Oh, you I, never got that far. Yeah, it's he comes in He's like, in like in the seasons last two, seasons okay. yeah, four and five. And then I never saw Fruitvale Station. Oh, but I know I need to. Our again? And exactly. Yeah. I don't uh, don't care for that. But um, I but saw yeah. that in the same screening room as I saw Sicario last night. All right, good to know. <laughs> Which one is that?
0: Uh, it's the the one. On Alameda in Burbank. I don't know if you know it. The Gosh, Dolby, Dolby Laboratories. I've never been there. Room. Yeah, it's... It seems like... It gets used a lot during the... Is that like an awards award screening room? More of I mean, I have seen regular press screenings there, too, okay. but it definitely seems like it gets used more for award screenings okay. uh, than press
1: screenings. Um, um, but yeah, so everybody go see Creed. David, I think you would like it quite a bit. All right. Uh, now, you said you have a bunch of TV. I have two things I want to talk about. What do you have? I've got rewatches. It, when I say a bunch of TV, what I mean is that, like, So, for the last week, I've been doing a lot of work and and such, and so I've been having TV on while I was working. Um, And so I tore through, and this is a rewatch, both seasons of Bojack Horseman. Okay. Um, You've seen one episode of it? Two episodes. Two episodes, okay. Um, You saw the Christmas special, right? Yeah, and then I think I saw the season two premiere. Okay. Um, Where he's got a Fitbit. Does he? I don't, yeah. I didn't remember that. And, I know he was jogging, but I don't yeah. think I knew his. But
0: Fitbit. he has a Fitbit because he shows up at his like agent's office. Okay. And she's, and he's like, uh, talking about all the steps or whatever. He has, mm-hmm. and she's like, you ran all the way here. He's like, no, I drove, but I did this the whole time. So what kind of the steps? And he's just, like <laughs> moving his wrist around.
1: <laughs> it's boy, that show. I remember the first season. I thought this is, this has moments that are great and moment like, emotionally powerful but also very funny um, but some of the targets are a little bit obvious uh, and then season two comes along and it kind of made me rethink season one and you just see the way things build and it's really complex and you know I was talking with a friend of the show Jason Eakin who just went through it and I think our conversation is what made me want to return to it um, but the never uh, w- if you had told me that I would be very emotionally invested in a character named Mr. Peanut Butter, <laughs> that's Paul Tompkins. Voiced by Paul F. Tompkins, I would have said, yeah, that doesn't sound like me, <laughs> uh, but it, they're absolutely correct. And that's a character that is ridiculous. Yeah. But they still find places for him to go. I believe in the season two premiere. Uh, I believe he has a cone on his head. Oh yeah, because he had shattered a mirror because he looked into the mirror and thought there was another dog wearing his clothes. And he, and then in a way that only Paul Tompkins can say, he's like, "I was so mad at that other dog." <laughs> um, so yeah, it's it's a it's a really great show, and I highly recommend watching it uh, if you haven't seen it. Both seasons and the Christmas special are on Netflix, and just really wonderful <laughs> comedy. Really amazing vocal performances and some really hard hitting emotional stuff oh
0: yeah wendy Malick voices his mom
1: yeah yeah that's in the season two premiere that was some heavy it sure stuff is. yeah yeah she there's a moment when it is it is a line that is so well written and she says it so well which she says you're bojack horseman and there's no cure for that it's like whoa man now, now imagine your mother saying it. yeah all right um how many things do you have i don't know how we should balance oh and, and this. then i also it's a lot of these are rewatches and i also restarted uh uh the unbreakable kimmy schmidt which okay. i'm enjoying uh you've seen it right oh yeah and uh i like everybody in it i think ellie kemper is great mm-hmm. <clears throat> i like character name is Titus Andromedon Titus Burgess Titus Burgess yeah and then Carol Kane is yeah man and just and there's there's, Jane Krakowski Krakowski, like there is something about characters that are this level of unstable Mm -hmm. um, but each one in a different a different kind of unstable and to me I I think I had forgotten upon watch after watching the first uh, watching it the first time um, I think I had forgotten how much fun it is to watch Titus Burgess and Carol Kane uh, oh, yeah. uh, hatch a scheme. Yeah, you know, like there comes a uh, a point when he's going to film a, a music video right, for Pinot Noir. For Pinot Noir, that's right. And his whole thing is just like, I just need a rhyming dictionary. And well, she's like, you haven't even written the song yet. He goes, the lyrics are the least important thing. You just come up with a rhyming dictionary. Uh, Pinot Noir, police car, and he just goes through that. And she says, I was wrong to doubt you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, oh, it's hilarious. Um, so yeah, I've I've been enjoying. That and then, as always, South Park is doing it's just, now it's just mystifying, uh, how what, what they're doing and how in a good way, um, and how they're managing to pull it off. And go, you'll need to watch it from the beginning of the season because okay, this does build episode to episode, and then, of course, uh, Survivor, uh, continuing to be even this last episode was still pretty boring. It's the only it's been the only boring episode of the season okay. and it's still pretty interesting. I miss
0: the days of these movie journals we'd talk about movies, we'd back and forth a little bit about TV shows and you and I would spend 10 minutes on the latest Amazing Race. I'm episode. sorry. I'm so and sorry. You just, just don't watch Amazing
1: Race anymore. I and this don't. is a really fun season. It's um, the the plan is when we when Jen and I take off our couple weeks around Christmas, uh we are going to watch all of the Amazing Race. Okay.
0: Um so i want to talk i want to real quick mention the last man on earth uh an Mm -hmm. episode that at this point is a couple weeks old called no bull which is the best episode since the pilot and it's um i talked about this with paul and hey watch this it's uh i mean this, this second season has been so great but um the second season in general in this episode in particular our reward for people who stuck with the doldrums of mid season one, mm-hmm. when, when the show really tried, uh, our patience. um, I'm really glad I stuck with it because the second season has been great. And this episode, no bull had everything. Mm-hmm. It had the absurd comedy. Um, it had, uh, uh <laughs> it, will Forte's character accidentally drinking cow urine. Um, it had the sad stuff, like yeah. not, uh, not just sad stuff, but like, desperately sad type of stuff, um, and more regular human weight and sadness. Uh, and yeah, it had a bull in it. Um, <laughs> uh, so yeah, the, the episode title is a lie when it says no bull. Oh, that's a lie. There is a
1: bull in this episode. Um, it's like, uh, it's like winds without a knife. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's a deep cut yeah uh
0: should we explain that no let's uh, just let okay people look that up if yeah want. it's a it's a movie related thing um oh that reminds me uh, we should say this for the main episode okay but someone gets an attaboy for uh last week's episode you dropped the reference and i said if you know what this reference oh, they, okay because someone did email me so remind me to mention nice. during the main episode. Um, um, and then the only other thing I wanted to mention TV-wise was that uh Adventure Time is back and I'm not all the way caught up because they they did a um they started the episode off with doing like uh something like 15 episodes in the first 2 weeks as opposed mm-hmm. to, and then they settled they're settling into their once a week thing now but they hit us with a glut of episodes um and it's been Fantastic! Uh, the first handful of episodes were standalone in a way, but it is continuing the storyline of Andy Daly's character, uh, the King of Ooh, taking over um, uh, the Candy Kingdom. And now uh, there's been a running joke over the course, of, like the first few episodes, that he is... Not only has he taken over the Candy Kingdom from Princess Bubblegum, he's also becoming her in a way, like he's wearing a pink wig. And then we see him in like in her clothes. Uh, and it, it, but he's a real scumbag. Uh, the kind that Andy Daly is good at playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second, a, a cheerful scumbag. Yeah. The second batch of episodes has been a sort of mini series that I'm not, although I haven't finished yet called adventure time stakes. And it is the, uh, um, it is a story Vin and Jake are in it, but it's about Marceline, the vampire queen, uh, and it includes a lot of a lot of backstory for her, which is, you know, I think a lot of people who are really interested in the show um, in terms of it has a very rich backstory and mythology. But the um, uh, Marcy and Simon stuff, uh, a.k.a. Marceline and um, uh, Ice King um are something that fans are really into so if you haven't caught up yet on season seven um you will very much enjoy it as
1: a fan uh it did occur to me i did watch on one other thing which okay. is john mulaney's new netflix special the oh, comeback kid it's on my to watch list uh as it should be uh, i'm a fan of john mulaney as i'm sure you are as well yes. his stand-up especially uh i say especially i haven't seen his sitcom apparently he was terrible but um yeah i mean that's why his special is called the comeback kid right well he does uh there is a bit uh, in which he's talking about Bill Clinton, whose nickname was the comeback kid in the early nineties okay. um but it's it's a very well it's it's his usual thing and it's but it's very sharp and it's very on point uh and for movie fans there's also an uh, throughout the throughout the special especially the last half there's a there's an odd preoccupation with the fugitive <laughs> uh which is uh, delightful i like that. so it's uh, it's worth watching
0: all right um let's uh, stop this